It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? They can see it in my eyes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of John's Untitled Podcast. I'm your host, John. Just want to give a quick shout out to everyone who gave a last week's episode with Jeremy from Earthgrowns a listen. Uh, greatly appreciated. A lot of interesting uh, stuff talking to a band that's newer on Solid State. When doing these interviews, a lot of times I like to do my due diligence and make sure that I look up as many interviews that these people have done. And for this band, like I said last week, there was pretty much nothing. So it makes it a lot harder for me to <laughs> know what to ask and what not to ask and uh, sometimes I guess those kind of conversations with strangers equal to be funner just because it's kind of a little looser and, and uh, a little unscripted as it was. So if you checked out that episode, thanks again. And if you didn't, go back, check it out, and uh, enjoy some of the back episodes as well. Uh, this week's guest is the returning Fallon Bowman, formerly of Kitty. Uh, if you listened to that episode, you heard at the very end of that that we mutually have a huge fandom of the Deftones. I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't like the Deftones, honestly, and if you say you don't like the Deftones, I probably, A, I'm going to call you a fucking liar, but beyond that, I think that uh, there's something wrong with you and you don't have good taste in music, so if you say you don't like the Deftones, then you are probably full of shit. So, we had talked about starting a discography run-through of the Deftones, and so this is going to be that first episode of that. Uh, naturally, we start with Adrenaline, the first album in the discography of the Deftones. <laughs> we are really brutally honest uh, in this run-through, which is awesome because I was really hesitant to sometimes say my own thoughts on some of these songs. Uh, because, to be fair, this this isn't really a record that I like as much as... I would say 90% of the rest of the, the catalog of the bands. I didn't get into the band on this record, and as you'll hear, Fallon didn't either. So I think maybe there's part of it that had to do with it, which that makes me more excited to start with Around the Fur, uh, which at the time of recording this, uh, I'm recording this a couple of days before I go see Deftones. Uh, Fallon will be seeing them the very next day, and then the following week we will be doing our Around the Fur uh, chat. So we will have Deftones on the brain and I'm really looking forward to getting into that because we're also going to talk about the, the tour that we we will both have just seen within a few days. So I expect that to be a little bit more of a lengthier chat. Um, and with Fallon and I, we're pretty good at about uh, chatting and keeping it going. And, and the funny thing about this, when going through the uh, the songs one by one, a lot of our notes were eerily similar. Almost like we like if we were writing a paper and we had notes and you had to turn your notes in, I'm sure a teacher would have said that we copied off each other. Because uh, even some of the phrasing was was pretty much down to the, the same verbiage. So yeah, so with, uh, with that, we are going to get right into our adrenaline run-through. So without further ado, here is my chat with Fallon Bowman. We get right into it. even though I've been a life, like, not a long fan, but a really long time fan. Um, I had no idea that they had formed in 1988. No idea. Yeah, I thought I remember reading something about that, but I didn't really think it was... Like, I even had gone back and listened to 
I think it's called a podcast called Someone Who Isn't Me, and he was talking with uh, Chino a while back. Um, right. And there was some stuff that they were talking about, the formation of the band, that I was kind of aware of, but it doesn't even seem like Chino was really aware of like when shit really started. It was like, well, we were kind of a high school band, and then he was like, oh, so you guys are like writing songs? He's like, no, no, not really. And it's like, <laughs> all right, so it's no like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it kind of got this like vibe of like that. The Deftones, as they became, by the time they put out the first record, really had only been abandoned that realm for like maybe two years, but that they had been right. that they had been started because of the whole accident that Stefan had happened to him, got the lump sum, and then bought a bunch of gear, and then basically like was able to have people come over and jam, and that's kind of how the band started. But they were like a cover band ish kind of thing, playing like uh, Duran Duran and a bunch of other random shit. Right, yeah, that and that was that was also the impression I got, and I I, I Wikipedia it of course because I'm like I just want <laughs> that's to the see. most reliable source. That's the most reliable source that you know as an academic that's where we go first, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and then I think I think somewhere I read that um, that whole thing that he got into an accident and all that was was not true, but then I read in other places that it is true, so I. He I went on, like I said, he went on record on the Someone Who Isn't Me podcast and said that he got and, into the accident, but it wasn't as severe as some things had made it seem. That basically, oh. he just got like a broken leg, but because the dude was drunk and and hit him, that they ended up having to pay out. And it wasn't some like real crazy amount of money. Like it's been right. you know beefed up by what it was, but that it was a substantial amount for like a fifteen or fourteen year old kid that he could go out and buy like really decent gear, like a decent like decent guitars, a decent drum set, a decent, you know like a bunch of stuff that it's it's still more than any kid of his age and he was still able to buy a bunch of shit and still have money left over. But it wasn't right. like you know, five hundred thousand dollars. He was like I think it was like maybe like you know, like thirty thousand dollars or something like that where it's still, still a lot of it's still a fuckload of money, money but <laughs> it's not it's been so over hyped as to how much it really was so right right so i guess we can just hop right into this yeah you might as well all right right off the top of the right off the top of the record board um board okay all right like how do you want to do it do you want to do it as a, a sort of overall overall impressions later like at the end um, yeah, I, I was going to run yeah, through okay. each individual track and then just kind of some thoughts on that. And then, like I said, once we get to the end, just kind of like what like random thoughts as a whole, like what we thought about it. Maybe like I know you said you had a Chino story that I was I didn't know if it applied, if you want to throw it out already or if you want to save it for maybe the album that it coincides with. You will probably save that for White Pony, which is okay. what they were. Uh, what they were, touring they on were at that point. at the time. Yeah. OK. Um yeah, so that was kind of my, my thought was just go through track by track, a couple of thoughts. Maybe you and I can debate on something if we don't agree. <laughs> Ooh, I, like, I like a little debate. Um, and then, like I said, we will hopefully maybe be able to pick a definitive song off this record as, as our favorite to, to play out the episode. Beauty. Okay. So we'll start with Bored. As I was listening to it today, listening to this record as a whole, I should say, yeah. I was thinking to myself, is there really a more iconic guitar riff to start an album? And the only one I can think of, at least for this time period, would maybe be Corrin's Blind. Yep, I and agree with that. I'm almost, but I mean, to be fair, this is actually a guitar riff that starts a song, whereas like Blind, it starts off with the, the drums and the bass for like a solid 30, 40 seconds. So yeah, I almost yeah. think this is actually more, the more iconic song because... 
to start to introduce you to a band because it's literally the the very first thing you're hearing is this this guitar tone and, and this guitar riff and kind of being like all right like we're setting the tone we're setting the mood and, and here we go and yeah granted i didn't really get into this record when it first came out so i can't really i mean around the fur is where i got into the band but i do remember hearing a lot of the stuff off of this record as friends were getting into this band when they first came out on this album but, right. So I didn't have too much of a gap. It's not like, you know, listening to some band where it's like they're five albums deep and you're going back to the first record going like, what the fuck is this? Like, why do people care? But <laughs> I definitely remember hearing this song for the first time and being like, all right, like this band's bringing it right out the gate. Right. Yeah. I uh, definitely that's the that that was the impression that I got. And I my like you, I got into around the first and then like maybe uh, I think around the fur was 97 yep. is when the first time I had heard it and kind of went backwards and was like, Oh, they have a first record. Amazing. So I picked that up and I'm like, wow, it, to me, it seems like night and day yes. stylistically. Um, it, it seemed, and even with board too, um, it, it seemed totally not new metal to me at all, but I've always been really uh, conflicted when using that, expressions i'm like what the hell does that even mean <laughs> right what does that mean i feel like you would uh, actually have a little bit more of a not a like disdain for yeah i guess that's the right word a disdain for for that term because you were actually in, involved in lumped in with that 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 era of music and that tag so maybe to you right. it's a little bit more of a, a dirtier word than to me where it's like <laughs> and especially in light of now this whole speaking of corn and deftones this whole weird like Deftones doesn't want to tour with us because of whatever, and then them being like, well, I mean, we weren't, we didn't want to get lumped in with new Metal any more than we had to, and, you know, touring with a friend's band that we toured with a bunch, like, just didn't seem to make any yeah. sense, and it's like, it's right, kind of right. weird that we're, like, already going like, oh, you know, they weren't really new Metal back then, even on the first record, and it's like, well, right away into it. I don't, yeah, I, I'm like, how did that even happen? I think it was just because, you know, two California bands, one from Sacramento, the other from Huntington Beach, like, that's really all they had in common in my in my view. Um, yeah. It's just, to me, it was just, I, I felt it was kind of unfair that they were lumped in with that. And I think it was just because there was just nothing else like their sound that they kind of had to lump them in with. I, I don't know. It just seems like an all-encompassing term and a lazy term in a lot of ways. Um, I was trying to figure yeah. out when the term actually applied because I feel like it wasn't until White Pony and subsequently Follow the Leader that that tag really got caught on. on. Yeah, and so at that point, uh -huh. it's like there's a little bit more. I'm not gonna. Well, at least in Corn's Avenue, like you know, they had the dude from Far Side. They ended up having Ice Cube, and they on Life Is Beachy had the the Wicked cover with Chino on it. So I mean, like they kind of dabbled dabbled a little more in the the rap thing. And outside of this record. And different parts of this record of, of adrenaline i can't really think of many avenues that really would have kept deftones in that like kind of rap new metal vibe whatever so i never Absolutely. really felt like it i never really felt like it applied to them from the get-go but yeah i guess it's just like you said it's if you were in a band of this time period then you just got lumped in with it because it was it was not what was had come before and nothing had yeah. like it had been out since excuse me since then um I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. When I was going through this record and kind of thinking about these, it's like, Bored's like a great song, but it's like, I, I walk away and I'm like, yeah, it's fun and I like it and it's a really iconic song, but then I, I don't really, I don't really, and that's the thing with this whole record, I don't really feel any particular way about it. 
It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't knock you off your socks. No, knock you off your feet. It doesn't sorry. leave. A, it doesn't last. It doesn't leave a lasting impression to me. And and I'll exactly. kind of get to like spoil one of my like random thoughts on this, but this has still <laughs> always been my least favorite Deftones record. Still is. It's, it. it uh, I have not heard the Deftones, just regular Deftones album. Uh, I don't remember if that came before or after Saturday Night Wrist. Before the one, um, oh, the self-titled record, just Deftones. Yeah, okay. um, I, but, but I think that there was a reason because I heard the single and I'm like, um, okay, that, you're talking about Minerva and, at that point. Yeah, like okay. it's like okay, that's that's it, you can tell it is the Deftones 100. percent So I can't really say it is my least favorite. It's not the one I go for. Let's just say, like, if <laughs> I'm going to listen to it with the Deftones, it's definitely not the record I like will reach for. Um, you know, it, it just isn't. And you can, you can just tell even listening to board, it's such an, it's an unpolished song in a lot of ways. It's, you, you could tell that a lot of it was done live off the floor and like, yeah. you know, there, there, there's a, there's a raw and edginess to Chino's vocals. Like it just feels like, you know, he did like a couple of takes and that's it, you know, and, or, or maybe, you know, he did it live. Off. I'm pretty sure they did it live off the floor with just him with a help handheld. I was going to say it sounds a lot yeah. of it. And especially, and we'll get, again, we'll, we're kind of hopping ahead already, but there's a lot of vocal takes on some of these where I'm like, this is obviously a handheld. This is obviously done. And, yep. and I, and I don't know. Cause some of my other gripes on this record are, are very much what you just said. I feel like parts weren't, it's not polished. I felt like some parts could have gone longer. Some parts didn't even need to be there. There's even yeah, a couple yeah. of songs as a whole. I don't even feel like we're necessarily needed to be on this record. It could have been cut by right. a song or two. And yeah, I think some yeah. of it is just the, the lack of polish on that. And it's weird because that's, I think that's why some people love this record so much, or even something like Slipknot's first record where yeah. it's just so raw that everyone loves that. But I, as I've been discussing with some other on some other podcasts, just how much nostalgia being attached to something, how much does that gloss over some of the imperfections or some of the things that are, are wrong with it? Not wrong, but that are not as good as they really could have been. And I also often wonder how much of it is, is a financial thing because sure. hands down, one of my like one of my biggest critiques of this record is how terrible the guitars sound on this oh. record. And as a whole, listening today, even I didn't realize how much like Abe's drums like don't have the typical drum tone that they did from basically around the fur on. Uh, oh I feel like God. there's a lot of stuff fighting for space up front. And the weirdest part is at this point. Um, Terry Date had done so many records that sounded so good. I mean, most notably Pantera around this point yep. that it's like yep. it either had to be a lack of funds to where he couldn't do time. all of that or maybe time. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I've always wondered, and I don't think anyone's really ever asked this, but uh, at least not in, in anything that I've looked up. I can't ever find anything that kind of explains why this record sounds so different, even in conjunction to the other records that Terry Date did with them from here on out. So right. I always wondered why this one sounds so bad. Um, I, I suspect it had something to do with time as well as the fact that, you know, it, it, they needed to be done quickly as well as the fact that they've been playing these songs probably for a really long time. Yeah. And there wasn't really any effort to rework it. Um, I, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's been the scene of this up until that point, maybe the same for eight years or six years or something like that, which yeah. is unfortunate. And if they had more time, I think it would have, fleshed out um even you know even better but you know it is what it is and, yeah. and that's where they gained their sort of really 
uh, loyal following even from the because they apparently they obviously I was too young to go see them at the time, but uh, they had like tirelessly toured at that point, even before around the fur, Um, you know, which is, I I just feel it came down to time, them being sort of young and and inexperienced, I guess. I'm I'm wondering because at the time I was trying to figure out how long Maverick records had been an actual label. So I'm wondering if maybe they, with it being such a new label, even though it was Madonna's label, uh, I was wondering if there just wasn't enough finances to really invest in a band and, and kind of like make a, a big, like put big production together yeah. to, to make this band yeah. sound like they did. And it's just like, well, we'll see what happens with this record. And if it does well, then, you know, there'll be more money down the road. Um, right. I mean, you never know with labels and, and stuff like that, like what the story actually is. Excuse me. And like I said, I, I in the research I've tried to do on this record, like I've never really found anything definitive this always this like and we just kind of talked about in the beginning this seems to be like a really weird gray area of the band where no one in the band really has like really any real <laughs> recollection of what happened there's a lot yeah. of like hearsay and a lot of like legends around everything and yeah, like they've created their own myth yeah. yeah and they just don't know like yeah. what's going on anymore um um but i i 120 percent agree with you about the guitars yeah, and this... this is coming from I, I don't really consider myself like a guitar, uh, you know, connoisseur by any means. It's just, it's so, it's, it's so metallic and so tinny and there is absolutely no sonic, uh, like it's not sonically diverse by any means. It's just mid and treble and it's like everything else is cut out. Yeah, but then yeah. it, it, it's just, it's like listening to razor blades cutting your, into your ears. <laughs> That's basically like, oh God, it's so bad. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, going into minus blindfold. Yeah. I always and even live, I've always loved like that slow bounce that became sort of what Deftones has done across their career. Like they they lock into a groove and just kind of like it's a it's a real sexy groove like that everyone yep. locks into, and mm-hmm. it just kind of and I think maybe that's like where some people think maybe like the new metal quote unquote thing was. It wasn't hip-hop based but i think it was a lot more groove oriented than a lot of other bands were doing uh at the time mm-hmm. uh i have in my note guitars always bothered me recorded in a wind <laughs> tunnel um something else i noticed along this record at different times especially when you're listening to it in a decent pair of headphones or uh a stereo or whatever it sounds like there's like a phase like a phaser going on with Steph's guitar tone that I don't think I've ever really noticed on any other record and I don't I don't know if like I'm just kind of hearing other shit on maybe like cheese bass or or just again like the overall recording maybe something on a a vocal that's just kind of fighting over the guitar mix or whatever but I noticed like a weird phase on some of these songs that I, I don't think I've really ever been aware of before have to listen to that one again uh because i i didn't hear but i was listening to it over loudspeakers as opposed to in uh you know in headphones so i'll have to give them one a listen again but again i and i had made the same exact same note about razor blades again uh (laughs) and 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 it's it's not that's not a critique i mean it is a critique but it isn't at the same time i mean for and there are some Nirvana songs that I, songs that I feel the same way about about like that really really high end guitar. I, I'm just not a fan of it. I've never have right. been. And you know it is 1995. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. 
And then I wrote that like the bridge around the 250 mark, I've always loved that section. And the outro, I remember I remember when listening to this record when we when my parents and I were going back to Delaware for something and I think we were around the Ohio area, just a bunch of nothing because the Midwest is very flat. And I remember like almost falling asleep because we had to leave really early in the morning. And I remember putting the CD in and it got to that part and I just remember like, holy shit. Like yeah. just that like the double time feel of it and i was like and it's like why didn't they do that even more like the like just the the harsh scream into that like just yeah. everything about it it was like man i want more of that please yeah indeed i've always loved the fact that he ends on a harmonic that kill mm. i was like oh it's, it's oh it's so perfect it's just well beautifully done um and i also made a note about abe's drumming he's not in in He's probably one of my favorite drummers for not because of his like skill and how, you know, he's like a Danny Carey or something like that. He's not like that at all. He's it's his groove. It's just something about it. That's kind of like this reggae kind like of off time. And his yeah, snare, his snare just, and his uh, snare hi-hat and, and kick drum and sorry to cut you off his snare hi-hat kick drum, oh, like good. his, his three basic rudiments of a, a drum kit. It just has such like, like for as much as like I'll probably end up talking over the course of doing this whole discography run through, something mm-hmm. that I've always loved is tone, and no pun intended with it being the you know deaf tones. But <laughs> I've always thought that as as the band has gone on, I've always loved Abe's tone. Like his kick drums usually not so much on this record, but he's always got like a really nice groove to everything. Nice. Like nothing. Everything's, Everything like, crisp, it's, it's he's, like... he's probably one of those drummers, if I had to, like, I've never met him, I've never seen his, like, set, like, routine of setting up before he starts playing, but he seems like one of those meticulous drummers who sits there and, like, spends 20, like, can, can actually tune his drums to a, a yeah. note, and then be yeah. able to be like, alright, we're playing, like, I think around this time they were still playing in, like, C-sharp, I think? Yep. Or, yep. or maybe, yep. yeah. And so at that point, it's like, you know, oh, we're playing in C-sharp, cool, let me tune my snare so it has, like, a little bit of pop, but it still resonates really good with everything else, and yep. everything fills a nice, tight sound, and it just sounds good together. But I've always felt like the staple of his drum kit has always been the kick, snare, and the hi-hat. Snare. Totally. And he works it, man. He works it. And it's so, it's so perfect. So, so, so perfect. Um, a, a note that I put also uh, that really characterizes Chino's singing is is that really sleepy verse. Yes. It's like super, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing spectacular about it. It's really just the, the icing on a, on a really lovely sonic cake. Yes. I'd like to say. Yeah. It's just smooth and sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Heading into one week. Yep. I always love the fact that the band spelled week W-E-A-K. Yeah. Um, something <laughs> that, like, I always love a good play on words, and I don't really see a whole lot of bands doing that anymore. I would say, like, one of the few bands that I, I love the fact that they do this is uh, the band The Color Morale. I've always just kind of wished bands would do that more, but they... I don't know. Like, when I, I, like I said, I kind of focused a lot on that... And I always was like, oh, that's a really interesting thing. And I didn't really have a chance to look at the lyrics ahead of time. Um, with a lot of this record, actually, I always I kind of have felt like there's it's really hard to understand Chino. Uh, yep. <laughs> and that's kind of my other hate about this record is 
he does so well on other records of enunciating a lot more. And again, I don't know how much of that is due to the fact that he was using a handheld um, yep. or that other things are fighting for his space to to be heard. But right. yeah, that was always something that I always loved on, on this one. Mm, yeah, I feel like that's a producer thing. Yeah. Working with producers, that's like the one thing they're like, man, people want to be able to sing the friggin' lyrics with you. You can't just be so yeah yeah i feel like that might have been like chino do me a favor you know can you enunciate those words a little better uh which again they didn't really have time to do i think in this during this record so i don't yeah. know i my biggest note on this really was i always thought this song was very eh, i just could have done without this one personally <laughs> i know that's really terrible no well to... i mean that's the point of like going through it it's it's i mean they know that we're well i don't know if they know but i'm a huge fan regardless of whatever they do like i just i'm a fan i'll always be one so but i so i feel like i can criticize them yeah so uh i know that he that chino is a really big depeche mode fan and yes. those, uh he and i hear like david gone 100 percent during this like he's yeah he's trying it, like chino is not the best singer in the world but uh he's really trying there's but a there's a lot of uh but yeah. I was going to say, and, and we'll get to it like as I'm turning my notes over, Like there are a couple other songs on this where I think he does a better better job of doing, like hinting on that and hitting that, like, yeah. I like this, but yeah. it's like it just didn't come up. And it's kind of funny because I, I did a review of the Hell or High Water, which is Brandon from Atreyu, uh, the drummer from Atreyu's new band. Yeah. And he's the singer of this band. And I got the record to do the review. And as I was listening to it, it's like 12 tracks and as I kept listening to it and was getting ready to write the review, I was like, man, this, this album would be really solid if it was like a six, maybe a seven song EP, but because like there are other songs and, and very much like with one week where I go, like you're saying like, Oh, I get the Depeche mode vibe on this. And I go, yeah, sure. But I get it on other songs and it was done better. So I could have done without this one. Uh, I see. I see. What to mean. me, it's like one of those where it's like when you're, and granted it might be as we keep going back to, other reasons for certain songs or things being on this i think a running theme is going to be like we don't know if it was a label or a time or whatever this could have been a thing where the label was like hey we want you know 12 songs so this was the best of what they had right. compared to like maybe yeah. what, something else they had to drop off but right. it's one for me where i was like you know like this is probably one i would have dropped off the record make it a little bit leaner and better and, and more focused um because like i said as a whole it's very just eh, to me very run of the yeah I, I mean, I, I, I didn't really write in my notes. Anyways, I didn't really. There was nothing remarkable, remarkable about it. So, no. so that probably is the means that means that I agree with you. I just, I, you know, I didn't really think about it. It's just not something that I would. It's not the song that I would go to. No. Okay, let's just say that. No. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, well, I guess on that note, right on to nosebleed. <laughs> um, I have always loved the intro slash what would as you end up finding out is the chorus riff to this. Um, the verse really loses me. Like, I feel like Chino's voice again is very indiscernible. Maybe. I can't quite pick yep. out what he's right. doing and which, I mean, 
in this part of i feel like in this song like that's kind of like they're like oh here chino do something here we're gonna kind of let you give like give you some space and then it's just like you just get a bunch of shit and it's just like oh okay uh what are you doing (laughs) like what are you doing guys and then even like the getting up to like the bridge like i felt like this band kind of like the bridge was always the place where i felt like they explored the most on this record and this one the bridge just kind of felt disjointed and kind of weird to me and I, i just as a whole like considering i love the intro slash the chorus it's like everything else about it is kind of very eh to me oh yeah i i this was i've seen them five times in concert and this is one of the one of my favorites to see live because he always did something really dangerous during that bridge part or just before the bridge part and you're like oh my god like he'll jump on somebody jump on whatever and yeah you know um but i yeah i I w- really like the very, like, towards the end of the song. Is, I, I'm the opposite uh, to you. I'm trying to think. Is this... So the, I'm trying... Because there was a... Like, is it the, like, really, like, slow, kind of, like, almost, like, clean guitar just part? Just after that. Just after that. Okay, never mind. Because, oddly enough, and, like I said, I only listened to this, like, two times today and a couple of times last week, and I was actually going to... I don't know if I was putting this in my head because I was going to be talking to you, but like as I heard it, I was like, this sounds really familiar. Why can't I put my finger on it? And then for some reason, I kind of was like, I feel like maybe this was a weird for you, like for matching it to you. Oh, what, it yeah. kind of reminded me of Paper Doll a little bit. Like oh, the, okay, the, yeah. the, the simplicity of the riff and kind of how it sounds. Yeah. And. I guess, like, I was going to... I didn't write that down in my notes because I was like, eh, that's probably just me, like, because I was like, oh, I'm going to be talking <laughs> to Fallon later and, and whatever. But mm-hmm. as I heard it today, it re-brought up that I was like, ah, oh, it kind of does sound like that. Just that real plain, very easy riff kind of... And it only happens for, like, 10, seconds. 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah. So Not I was even, like, yeah. so I was like, I don't really think, like, they would be inspired by a 15-second piece at the end of a Deftone song to write a whole, no. a whole song around yeah. it. Yeah. But, it's interesting that you say that, though. I mean, I, I never actually never thought about it. Um, maybe subconsciously, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> it's I don't know. Just one of the and I, what I do like about, like I said, the ending part of it is any part of the song is what stuck with me the most. Um, just because I'd seen it performed so many times, um, and every time it did something crazy, and so I just assumed or I just associated it with like a headbanging and going crazy. Right. But um, it, I love how this is where he really defines that really. I call it his pterodactyl yell. Oh, the inward it's like this. Yeah, it's like this. I don't even know what a pterodactyl sounds like, but I just, <laughs> it's just like, you know, it, it, it's it's Chino. Like when you hear that, you know, it's like this weird dinosaur liking like sound. It's very strange, but um, right. uh, that is so iconic for for me. Uh, so I, I quite like this one. Uh, again, it's not it. You know this. This record kind of goes in in peaks and valleys, and yeah. this is the valley that we're in right now. I feel like it's it's also sequenced really weird. Like the more I listen to it, because when I had it on shuffle, sometimes like it, sometimes putting a record on shuffle, you get a better sense of the record, and you're like, man, it should have been yeah. sequenced like this. And <laughs> on one of my listens over the last week or so, it played like some of the slow, like the the last three songs or so were more in the middle of the mix. And I was like, oh, man, they should have kind of done it like this. And then it, like, ended with, like, seven words and, and root and stuff like that. So I was kind of like, right. shit, like, maybe maybe the sequencing was a little off on this one. 
And yeah. it makes me wonder, like, I mean, I kind of was thinking, like, well, if it was sequenced differently, like, would I think this record was better because it had a better flow? Because I feel mm -hmm. like it's just kind of is so disjointed and, and such a, a songs are in weird places and some of the buildups that they have, like, just go to shit because of the next song that comes after you. And you're just like, well, eh, <laughs> whatever. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you there. I uh, at the time, anyways, when I listened to this record, I always listened to the whole thing all the way through. Um, but then there was, there's this just between, say, uh, one week, nosebleed, and then the next song we're going to talk about. That is the three that I would generally skip over. Oh, really? Yeah. I uh, well, we'll go into lift lifter then, which is weird because yeah. I've heard people say liffer, and they don't pronounce the T. Yeah, I don't know. I've always been like, yeah, people, I've heard people, and maybe it's a Midwest thing, I don't know. But I remember getting into, like, some arguments with people about how to say it, and I was like, it's Lifter. It's L-I-F-T-E-R. Like, how do you not call it that? Yeah, like, T's not silent. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've always loved the the doubled-up gallop riff. Like, it's like a single note, and then it, like, I think on the third third run through of it like it doubles up and then like so it's like dun, 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 like kind of has that like yeah. nice gallopy riff to it um it's it's also one of the few songs that i i can think of on this record where chino actually and it's something that kind of becomes a, a, a staple later on with the band kind of has layered double vocals going on uh because i can't really think i don't really think it at least not predominantly like that i noticed after i noticed it on this song I can't right. really, I don't notice it very often on this record of him doing that. Not like it is on this hey. record, on this song. Yeah, I don't think, did he even do any double? That's a good question. I can't even recall any other songs that he did. Sort of these like multi-layered, uh -uh. yeah, like it's not, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. <laughs> um, but I, I don't like the vocals on this one. Uh, yeah, they're very... Don't like it. Whatever to Sweetie. me. But yeah, I, very, it was, like, like I said, that was the only note I had on. I mean, really, if you look at most of my notes on these, and I think you, it's funny, you and I have about this equivalent of notes on these. It's like one or two. You're just like, it's cool. <laughs> eh. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, um, it's... And that characterizes the whole... Well, we'll talk about that after. But yeah, it's... For me, this was... This is my least favorite song on the record, Lifter. Um... The Locally, only thing that really I, set, saves it for me is, is just that, that gallopy riff. Like it's it's yeah. it's a nuanced thing that's not anywhere else really on this 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 it's the weird song out of the whole thing because there's nowhere else where he kinda does that the the double time gallopy riff anywhere else on this record, which is mm -hmm. weird because he kinda Stefan ends up doing that later on in other albums. And like I said, it's the first that I noticed where Chino has like the doubled and layered vocals where he's kinda harmonizing with himself and so forth. That mm. I, I didn't really hear it anywhere else on this record, but it would go on to be something that Deftone, like, that's kind of indicative of Chino's vocal style over the next, you know, six, seven records. So it's weird mm. that the song, excuse me, a song that neither of us really like and is very eh to both of us is actually <laughs> something that sets up a lot of what the Deftones end up doing and being a, a, yeah. a formula for what they do down the road for pretty much everything from here on out. Um, yeah, I, I also thought that maybe, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like it's, um, it, it, it's not very sophisticated in the arrangement. It's just no. very, very simple. And I, I, I thought that maybe I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of their oldest songs or one of their older ones where they were just learning to sort of 
you know, navigate through songwriting or something like that. I got that feeling that there was a little bit of it's their songwriting infancy song, perhaps. I could be totally wrong about that, but it's just a feeling I got. Do you think that, and, I mean, bringing that up, that was kind of something I noticed with some of these songs. I feel like I can kind of tell the songs that were the, the first songs, that were like the best of the oldest, yes. mixed with yes. the, the newer batch of songs that would kind of... Because there's, and as we're starting to get now in the middle of the record toward the end, there's songs that, and I'll save some of this, but I know, like, I got the feeling that I could t- start picking apart, like, these are your older songs, these are the newer yep. songs that you started writing around the time of this record getting ready to be recorded. Right. Like, I'm almost sure, like, I don't, I don't know that there are ever, actually, I know there are demos, like, tapes, literally demo tapes of, like, <clears throat> before they were signed... Tapes. But I don't know what out of these songs were like on those demos, but it'd be interesting to see how different those sound compared to what ended up on this. Cause, what, yeah, because yeah, like I said, it's, um, it's very you're like you said they're very rudimentary, like rudiment songs, like just very basic. Yeah, which is not it's not a criticism, of course. I mean it, that that it, sometimes that's a good thing. Um, I just felt that maybe for this song for Lifter specifically, it's not one of their standout tracks, definitely. Uh, it was a sort of getting their bearings, perhaps, or something to that effect. Um, I, but I obviously, I have no way of knowing that um, unless we were to find those tapes, which I'm sure they exist somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure they're a lot of money tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 a lot of eBay. Or, um, so that leads us to Root. Um, I have to say, as a guitar player, I have spent, I used to spend so much time learning how to play the single note intro yeah uh, back when there was the debate on they play in d they play in c sharp they play in c they play in standard like yeah i think i had learned how to play this song so many different ways and like the very different parts of the riff never came across the way that it sounded on the record Nope. But I never. <laughs> yeah. But I always wondered how much of it was due to the fact that I had shitty pickups and wasn't using Seymour Duncan's, or you know, I don't even know if he was using ESPs because I, or I mean, uh, EMGs at this point because I don't. It doesn't have that EMG tone to it to me. No, no, um, no. So I think they were passive pickups at that point. But just always love this the intro riff. Always love the the way it goes from a single note into a a bar chord. Um, yep. Progression to to be the song. Um, I've always felt like this actually should have been the, the first song on the record. I think it's, yep. a, it's a much stronger statement. I think there's a lot more accessibility with the, with the chorus and, and the, the song as a whole. And I think this yep. would have been a better representation of the album, uh, or the band, I think as more so than, than, uh, than bored. And in fact, uh, when I saw them in 97, they, when they were playing Warped Tour, they opened their set with this song, which made total sense. Like yeah. it, it was a friggin' slap in the face, um, you know, and made everyone go fucking nuts. So <laughs> it's just, it's the perfect opening. That, that little lick in the beginning is just, oh, oh it's so great. And even that, that dissonant chord that he does just pre-verse yeah. It's like this really, it sounds, oh, it makes you uncomfortable and it makes you angry. And that's exactly what, you know, they achieved with that song is, you know, just making people go absolutely bonkers. Um, definitely one of my faves live. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the thing, too, speaking on this record. Like, for as much as I, I kind of, for me, shit on this record, 
I've always said live, it, it it comes across way better than it ever did in on rec, on record record. I always yeah. I wanted to say record, and I was like, that's a very almost <laughs> on almost, <record. laughs> almost as I would have said, almost a very Canadian way of saying that. Like, oh, on record, it was uh, it's definitely a little it bit different. <laughs> but I've always thought the songs come across a lot more intense and a lot better. But I don't know again how much of that is you know it's on they're playing these songs with the gear they have now with you know having 20 years of playing these songs and so forth so it's like does it sound better because it's it's on better equipment and then they've kind of you know i don't know <laughs> yeah that's very possible i mean i think that the guitar tone on this one sounds heavy as fuck it's yeah, awesome this this it's, is one that kind of makes I, me think just, that uh that this was ugh. a newer song and maybe yeah. was like, kind of makes me wonder if this is, like, one of the first songs they recorded for this record and was, like, the one they spent a little bit more time on. And then it was like, oh, shit, we got to hurry up. Because <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. it seems to be, like, the one song that has, like, a little bit more better production value on it than, than the rest of the, the the songs on the record to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Chino's Scream. I made a note here. Chino's Scream uh, is so searing and so on point during this song specifically. And then... You know, when he does that, yeah, it's like this, yeah. it, it shows his incredible Vocal potential range. in terms of range. It's just yeah. like, yeah. And he could never, what's funny, when I, all the times I saw them, he could never replicate it. It, yeah. it was, it was, was kind of off, or he wouldn't do it at all. And I'm like, oh, come on, just try it. Well, <laughs> it, it kind of reminds me of a story that I had heard Phil and Selmo, Selmo talk about on the recording of cowboys from hell when he was talking about cemetery gates and he or, uh yeah cemetery gates when he's at the very end when he's doing the uh matching the the pitch of the the guitar bends yep. and he was like dude when i was trying uh terry date had me like match like the note uh and i don't remember like the progression of notes off the top of my head but like i want to say like maybe it was like a high a or something like that like the, the last yeah. one he was like yeah we seriously like spent 30 minutes recording just that one like it's that thing like where it's like it, like trying to get that super high pitch he was like it took us forever and i almost was just like dude just fuck it like i'm not doing it <laughs> yeah and yeah. so i think maybe like because i know there's already like with that story of knowing that terry date like pushes a vocalist to kind of hit hit that note that a vocal like in that instance where phil was like you know i i knew i wasn't going to be able to hit that night in and night out like there's just no fucking way and yeah. so i'm wondering if maybe like that's you know terry being like just really go for it and then like you know they pushed it and then finally got it on this one take the magical take that's on the record and then from there on he's like i'm never fucking hitting that note and i'm never trying yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean I've, i he sometimes he would when i saw them in 98 i believe yeah it was 98 he did try it but he would cut out like in the middle because it was just he would pull his it, the mic away it, from it, his it, face yeah like yeah, he would pull yeah. it away or yeah. and i'm just like i know he can do it it's just like you said, it was maybe just one of those things where they did it so many damn times. And he's, you know, never again. <laughs> right. Never again. So anyway. Uh, seven words. Huh. Iconic song. Yes, very. Um, something I wrote down. Chino has gone on record recently and said he, because I think there was a, a performance when they did a festival, I think last year. Actually, I think it was the festival that, I forget what it was called off the top of my head, but like all most of the bands didn't get paid because they were expecting so many more people than got there. So a lot of bands got paid like a fraction of what they were supposed to. Oh, really? Um, but I think like that was the festival where he brought his like son out during that song. Oh, and someone had asked him about 
the the bridge part and he was like honestly i i i'm not saying anything i'm just making noise and i've often wondered <laughs> if this is just another lure like where he's like no i said something but it like you know it just changes uh <laughs> so i've often you wondered up to it yeah so i've al yeah. always wondered like because this is like an another fun thing with doing this like where deftones are one of those bands where kind of like corn where like i know chino like on white pony specifically i know chino wrote like on uh fuck what uh the first track on that record where you know he goes fuck i'm drunk and he changed it in the lyric book because it, he was like oh if we if i said fuck in there and i wrote it then we would get a a, a parental advice sticker on it so i wrote right. a uh something different whatever it ends up actually being in the in the book in the booklet because i know yeah. it's not the right lyric but he makes the point of uh how he changed it just so they didn't get a parental advice sticker so they could like put it into like walmart and all that kind of stuff and yeah like, yeah so i know like he's talked about how he puts in different lyrics because whatever like it's just i guess something that he likes to do but i've often wondered like do you have the, a story of what you think it is or have you heard like a what it is because i've i know like three different people that are like oh it's this and they're all they're completely different lyrics well you mean during the chorus is that what you're talking about? Uh, the, the bridge just, part, yeah, the bridge, like, um, like where it's all kind of mashed in with the the palm mute, the drum hit, and the <laughs> where everything's just very percussive. And it, I hear something about ball scratching, and <laughs> yeah, and, and so I can do the whole rap, but I don't know what I'm saying. It's just it literally just sounds like word vomit. But I am like, he's talking about ball scratching. And it's it's almost like scat, like rap and scat mixed together. It's very strange. It's very, yeah, it's not my favorite part of the song, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, that's that's really all I wrote. Like it's 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 again, it's an iconic song, but at the same time, it's like eh, eh, it's yeah, it's a song. I mean, it's definitely it's a song. It's not as it. I mean, it is more musically sophisticated than you know, other songs like Lifter, for example, I think it's definitely, there's much more going on. Um, there's a lot more sort of thought going into this one, but I'm pretty sure seven words is an old song for them. Um, I don't know if that's actually true, but, uh, I'm almost, I think it is. I'm not sure. Um, Anything else on your end for this one? Uh, I, I just wrote that I have always had a sort of dubious relationship with swearing in songs. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I, honestly, I always thought that it was it was kind of unnecessary in some ways. But it, as a teenager, when I heard this song, oh, the and teen like, angst that you could like swear. Oh, like, it's oh, so yeah. good! It's so great, and now it, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. But I, yeah, it sounds so such an old lady thing to say, but. It, like now I don't really feel like it's totally necessary to do it. But at the time, my God, my God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, moving on. Birthmark. This is probably one of my favorite songs on the whole record, honestly. Um, speaking, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, uh, the end of this, the way that the song actually ends, reminds me of the beginning of Risk from Diamond Eyes. Uh, that's really funny because I said something kind of similar um, that I don't think the song belongs on this record at all. Uh, I feel like it is completely leading into more around the first style or white, like, you know, later, it should be, it sounds like a later song. It's much it's, more mature. It's so funny. I feel like you and I probably didn't even need to write notes because literally my next note is 
I feel like this was more indicative of where the band was going as like, oh, between Around the Fur and all that, as opposed to this record where it, it is. <laughs> that is so funny, but it's 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 very as Deftones fans, we could see we could hear that. I'm well, like, I mean, we also have the, so... the foresight of being able to look ahead and hear right. all these other records now in conjunction to it. But at the time, like, and that was kind of the thing where I was like, do I mention other records and like how it kind of sets up sounds because I feel like for me with this like and we'll get there and we'll really probably delve into this on when we talk about white pony but i feel like white pony so many people were caught off guard and like wow this band came out of nowhere with this sound and it's like you know going back i've always said there's usually a song or two on every record that shows a band where a band can go it's just a matter of if you're picking up on it or not um like i said like with like a song that we both felt very like with lifter it's like I noticed things that became staples later on of, of Deftones, the Deftones sound, but it's on this song and it's the only song that sounds like it, yet it's not done very, it's not done very well, but no. it's kind of the, the, the foundation for what would become a more staple of the Deftones sound that wasn't really uh, re- prevalent on the rest of this record. So with this one, I feel very much like, like I said, I, and I almost wanted to have a fun thing later where I take the end of this song and see how close I could just throw it into <laughs> Risk and see how, if my thought that it does, it's the exact same note that Risk kind of starts on. Because I, I feel like it's a very similar thing, even though I know at that point Diamond Eyes was on a H string and I think is in F tuning, yes, maybe I F sharp. Crazy tuning. Um but it's one of those things where I was like, man, this really feels out of place, but it feels like this is, like I said, this is probably my favorite because it's more indicative of where the Deftones I felt were going as opposed to where they they currently were. Okay. Then for argument's sake, I guess then, if we were to look at this song if we did not know what was to come. I feel like this still... is the song that pissed people off because it wasn't like the rest. It was too exactly. too experimental, and I feel like at the time people probably been like, this is the weirdest song on the whole record, and I don't like it. Exactly. If we were to look at it completely removed from all the rest, it's so different. It's so... But if I mean, like... it still doesn't stand out to me. It still doesn't stand out to me as something that is, is you know, this is the song that I love on this record. It It's still... If we were to, to sort of look at it as a, by itself, isolated it doesn't slap me in the face right and, and it could be a, a, a you know a slow song that slaps you in the face too but i feel it's like just... this is where the album turns into the shift that and, and like i said we'll kind of get more into it with the last three songs but to me this is the the shift where to me these these last probably three or four songs were probably the newer songs and kind of very indicative and, and i would even guess that we're probably some of the like there's probably stuff on around the fur that was written or, or yeah around the fur that was probably written around the same time as like these last three or four songs yeah but weren't finished or at a, a like case in point again if you listen to that first corn record i think on track three before clown clown yeah when they're when they're mm-hmm. talking you can hear david yep. make the comment he goes i wish we could put twist on a fucking tape so at that point while they're recording the first record they already had twist yeah it just yeah. wasn't apparently at a, a finishing point now to mm-hmm. to record it so it's making me wonder like how much of the stuff that ended up on around the fur was written around the time of like like maybe be quiet and drive was a demo that was like maybe a chorus idea or like a yep. verse riff and that's it and it wasn't yep. ready because yep. i'd be interested to see what was written around the time of like these last four songs 
because I feel like this these last four are the setup for Around the Fur, 100%, yep. and, and more a yep. representation of what the band would end up doing from this point forward. Yeah, I agree. I, that, that's pretty much exactly my, one of my final thoughts. <laughs> it starts it starts going in a direction that i really like at yes. this point on um, um yeah anyway do you have anything next. else for another or are we going right on to engine number nine uh engine number nine yeah yep. I, was, I don't have anything else for yeah um i wrote that it's a solid song start to finish i felt like this was an unofficial prequel to head up it kind of has the same <laughs> same like yeah. verse riff uh the the da, da, yeah. uh, like the part like with that being a play off of the the vocal pattern i felt like yep. that was very much like how the head up part with like max cavalera uh oh, God, i felt like the like the more i listened to this i was like this is basically the prequel to head up even in song arrangement vocal style like everything this screams like head up just not done as well yep and Agreed. uh yeah, I, that's pretty much all I wrote is that it's it's a great song and it's it's kind of a very driving song that kind of feels more in line with what uh, Around the Fur would do like kind of start to finish, like just being very aggressive and, and, and progressive as far as like just how everything moves and keeps moving forward. Um, right. But yeah, I just kept getting a strong head up vibe on this like. And sometimes, like, I've noticed some bands, like, will kind of revisit something, but it's a, it's sl- it's changed just slightly enough to where you're like, it feels like this, but it's not. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is head up, just not done as well. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I wrote that if we want to, okay, if we want to look at the, the, the definition of new metal as something that incorporates sort of hip-hop and rap elements, yeah. this yep. is the most new metal-y song that they have on their on this record. And it's just, you know, just by virtue of them having, of him having that rap over sort of rapping verse. Yeah. Um, probably one I of my, also, I was going to say, probably also one of the, the cleanest guitar tones on this record, too. Yes, yes. Alongside uh, uh, Root in the sense that, those two, Root and Engine Number Nine, are my two favorite in terms of guitar tone. Um, that it is not so razor blades and searing, and you know, yeah. It'd be so. interesting to go back and look at what guitar stuff was using. If he was, if at this point with like Root and Engine Number Nine, if he was using those ESPs with the the active pickups in it instead, and like, and right. that's kind of the pr- slow progression into finding what would become Steph's guitar tone and sound. Um, right. So I've I've often wondered, and especially going back through now and, and kind of knowing that like, he's been an ESP guy for a long time, it's always been the active pickups. Yeah. Uh, that I kind of and maybe that's why the guitar sounds so shitty is because he was playing through. I don't even know what he's playing through it back then. I think he like uh-huh. in the videos. I think he was still playing through an ESP, but I think he was playing through like those. Or was it an Ibanez? I feel like maybe he was playing an RG. Yeah, I think it was an. Videos. I think it might have been an Ibanez at that point. I think he was playing one of those uh, RGs, like that light light blue uh mm-hmm. rg model i think yeah yeah he's the whole reason why i started playing esps i had never heard of them until i'd seen seen well we'll talk about that i guess when we get to around the fur but like, <laughs> yeah i was like i don't know this company but i need to know them now and they did not exist in canada at the time yeah i think between stefan and uh the dudes in atreo those are the, the two biggest inspirations for why i play esps personally yeah. and why i like emgs oh, man. so I, I yeah that's that, that's also a that's also a big thing as well uh but and I I own his guitar. I I went to has... ESP and I said I want his Snow White guitar. So <laughs> give it to so me. do you have one of the baritone ones or is it like the the no. six string ones? The six string. Okay, a friend of mine just recently got the eight string. 
and I was like, well, the next time we see each other, I need to play that because I mean, I used to have a seven. I had an Ibanez AX7, like the nice. just basically run of the mill Ibanez seven strings. Yeah. But they were longer scaled necks. It was almost like a baritone before they started making the baritones. Yeah. And I used to love that thing between trying to play like stained style, style stuff because like he had those six string models with the extended neck, so he didn't have to right. have the extra string. But Deftones and all that kind of stuff, like. It's funny looking back now, like how I used to be like, I don't know why I would ever get rid of, why I would ever play a seven string. And then I look back at the time that I used to have one and I was like, I don't know why I ever got rid of it. Yeah. Why did you get rid of it? <laughs> I was broke and I needed to make some money. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I know. I know that feeling. <laughs> I, think every, I think every musician knows that, that story. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, and else? I also want to say engine number nine. Uh, sorry. The, the breakdown is probably one of the, greatest that i've had heard at that time um and again live was off the hook like it was insane it's um, it's kind of funny that deftones always have a and i'm we'll get to again we keep saying we're gonna get to this but that's the whole point of running it through a band's discography <laughs> they always have like one breakdown in every album that you're just like like i can think of like on the self-titled it's on uh not death blow uh it was a single, but like they have like just a brutal breakdown at the. I think it's Good Morning Beautiful. I think that's the riff, mm -hmm. the breakdown riff I'm thinking of. And then like on Saturday Night Wrist, it's on. Uh, I think it's on Beware at the very end okay. of that. It goes into okay. like a really like Meshuggah esque kind of vibe on oh. Diamond Eyes. There's like like every record they always have like one kind of brutal breakdown riff where you're just not expecting it. And you're like kind of like I said oh. with uh, on Minus Blindfold. Like there's always that yep. one like. 10 15 seconds where you're like man you guys could get really fucking aggressive on some shit if you really wanted to but you just totally. you get such a like just a taste to where you're like oh, fuck i want more i want more of yeah it. It, it melts your face it, it really does it melts your face and you're like I, I wow i need more of that in my life totally um anyway i kind of cut you off on your last thought on engine number nine no what i was just saying that i all i wrote is breakdown best dot ever dot. <laughs> yeah, so it's good to know that we even write notes very similar. <laughs> I have a couple that it's like, like I wrote on uh, the Minus Blindfold. I was like, outro, period. Still kills. Kills underlined <laughs> and in caps. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's uh, shorthand. That's, that's yes. Best friend. Yeah. Um, I've another, another track that always gets a debate on how it's pronounced. I always pronounced it for real. For real. I, I've... Yeah, I, I've I've swung between Fari and Fariel, but it doesn't sound. Yeah, for real sounds sounds right. Like yeah, for real. yeah, for real. Yeah. If we're going with that new metal thing, it's for real. Yeah, and and like I was trying to figure out like like I was like all right, like if I were to per, like if I were to shorthand for real, I guess this would be the way I would do it. Yep. Um, but then like I've heard people over enunciate the, the fire part. Oh, Feral? Oh, yeah. yeah. Or Feral, like for Feral. Feral. And oh, so, like, yeah. I've heard, like, a few different ways of saying it, so I've always been like, I don't really know how, actually, like, because it's like, oh, it could be Feral, I guess. Like, that would be an interesting way of spelling it. And Okay. But then it's like, yeah, like, I don't know. So I've always kind of been like, is it, I just kind of was always like, yeah, it's it's for real. I don't know. <laughs> I, I have never thought it to be Feral or Feral. Yell or <laughs> yeah. you want to be really exotic, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's for real. But I mean, here's the thing: you need to have the Deftones on your podcast, and then that is the question that you need to ask them: How the fuck do you say this word? Yeah, and he probably won't remember. 
<laughs> you probably won't remember yeah i mean um i wrote that this was such an odd song for this band at the time feels more like a track that would have been on white pony or the foundation for songs that would end up on white pony yeah yeah i i had said it's a boring song <laughs> and so I, yeah it is it's boring but it's really atmospheric which yeah. like you said like my notes i said it seems the the atmosphere that is created with it is reminiscent of white pony is exactly what i said yeah so Mm. This this feels more, and then I'll definitely get into this on the next one, unless we have, like, that's literally the only note I wrote on this, because I was, like, very much the same, like, very, the one word review of this record, eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's there, it's, it's there's there. some stuff, yeah. it's fine. There's about 45 minutes worth of song. Or and no I could probably think of, like, 15 minutes of it that I'm like, that's a solid 15 minutes, but, yeah, yeah, eh. yeah. yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, did you talk about the secret secret song at all? Well, or... we still have Fist. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Um, I wrote Fist is actually the second song that I think is probably my favorite, and I wrote this feels like a song that Chino would have brought to the band before any of us really knew that Chino could play guitar because it yep. it feels, and especially when you get into like, I know on on the the self titled record. Uh, was the first time well actually i guess white pony is the first time we've actually we would have seen chino actually playing guitar uh and knowing that he was bringing songs excuse me and but i feel like this is the first song that distinctly sounds like it would have been chino bringing this to the band and then really showcasing chino and stefan doing the thing where chino's playing more of like an octave chord or something with with a, you know like a like a minor chord underneath of it and then Steph just playing a root note just just let it like ring right over what he's doing right and but the problem I have with it is I felt like there I felt like this wasn't a whole fleshed out idea I feel like this is a jam where like maybe you start a practice off with this and you're like yeah yep. we let's jam whatever the working title for this thing is and then you just never finish it yep. and so it's just this half fleshed out idea of like well here's here's this thing, then you do this, then we do this, and then that's all we got. And then it was like, well, the label said we needed 12 songs and it needed to be well, like 45 <laughs> minutes, so I guess this works and fuck it, we'll throw it in there. Right. Uh, pretty much, I for me, this song, uh, I said it, again, sleepy uh, is something that recurs throughout this, like all of my notes, is that it's a very <laughs> sleepy song. Um, shoegazy kind of, you know. So this is where I feel more Chino's Chino's influences come through on on these last few songs to me. Yeah, yep. And it it reminds me of sort of my sleepy, dreamy days in 1997. That's what this song reminds me of. It's just, you know, (laughs) that that unbridled youth and and, and optimism, but also nihilism and pessimistic kind of shit. pessimism and all that like it all mixed into one and it, it's that kind of song that there's just a lot of things happening at the same time and it's i just feel like there's no direction for it like i f- yeah, yeah it, it just wanders really... aimlessly and then it's done and you're like okay <laughs> and that was that is that not being a teenager right that's exactly what it's yeah. just like being a teenager in a song like there's no end there's no there's no you know you're questioning your existence every single day that's what the song is yeah. <laughs> it's just like where are we going? What are we doing here? Come on, guys. 
but I mean, I, it's not one of my favorites, but it has a, a very nostalgic quality for me. Um, and I notice at when I'm like, you know, listening to it, I'm like, wow, Charlotte has a part that is almost exactly like it without me not like purposefully taking it or anything like that. I was like, it's, it has that same, um, you know, jam quality to it. And I remember when we were writing that song, that was exactly what happened. We were just kind of jamming it out. Um, except we took that part and put it into a song as opposed to like trying to make a song out of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Actually, that's kind of a weird thing since this is the second Kitty reference we've made song-wise within these yeah. these things of songs or these this batch of songs. Going back through, like, did you does it kind of remind you of like become like because there are definitely songs on this where this hit me when i was you know early teen early mid-teens and trying like just having gotten a guitar and trying to figure out like how to play aggressive quote-unquote music <laughs> and and wanting to play you know something with it like this kind of uh ferocity to the like this this much attack like i remember not understanding like you know much about guitar tone or you know the attack on how you're playing but looking back like i definitely remember it it was like one of the catalyst records that made me want to play like you know aggressive music like on guitar and and kind of explore like that yep uh 100 percent, 100 it was i i would say maybe not some, like i said i got into around the fur first and I learned the shit out of that CD, um, you know, from start to finish. And this one, not so, not so much. Yeah, this one definitely not so much. But it was still so like Steph's guitar playing slays me. Absolutely slays me. I tweeted at him recently um, that saying, we were doing like, this. Uh, no, that I, <laughs> that your your guitar playing gives me life. Like it really. There's just something about it that just makes oh, it's just amazing. I don't. It, I mean, he's he's not a virtuoso by any means, but it's just so good. It's so effective. It's so it just spoke to me as a teenager, and it still does as a, an old woman. So yeah, ah, oh, love you, Steph. Love you, love you. I'm a huge fangirl. I don't even care. Like I fangirled like crazy when I met him, but whatever. He seems like he'd be really chill and just whatever. Oh, so, so very whatever. <laughs> like, there, you know, there was no smile or any sort of like long lasting conversation coming out of that guy, but it's okay. I, I, I was like, let me just talk. Let me just talk about how much I love you. <laughs> so, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's cool. Thanks. Like, there's, there's nothing worse than when that relax. happens when you're like, oh man, you, you are the reason I picked up an instrument and I love you and just everything you do is great. And they're like, that's great. I just bared my soul. He was just very low. He was energy. probably high. Uh, he was high as fuck. Absolutely. Yeah, I bet. You know, he, was, he had a bag of weed with him and he was just like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And he was like making a joint at the time. I think I can't remember exactly, but like, you know, that's just, and the first time I met him when I was like was like fourteen or fifteen, uh, this would have been prior to the release of Around the First. So technically, I can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we went to go see them uh, at the warehouse in Toronto, which doesn't exist anymore. And he, I gave my like wind up camera to their roadie. I don't know who it was, and I'm like, could you? I just want to get a picture of Steph, not Chino. I want Steph. 
Steph, is he on there? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I'll get a picture. So he gets a, snaps a picture of him and I, I lose my shit. I'm like, like, oh my God. But then the crown on like the, the, the icing on top of that was Chino came out afterwards. And we, of course I, I, I was like, like, (laughs) it couldn't even speak. Um, but, uh, I just remember him coming out afterwards and didn't say a word, like just like the chillest, most, and I've met some musicians who are like ADD crazy hyper. Um, (laughs) and you're in, it's a little too much, but then when you meet him, he was like the complete opposite. Just, all of them are like that, though. Like, be chillest dudes. Um, yeah, so. Um, and then you wanted to talk about the, the random secret, quote-unquote, secret track? Oh, no, I didn't. Actually, that's I was asking because I didn't look at it. Or no, I didn't. I, I was going to say I didn't either, but. Okay. Um, I guess random thoughts. Uh, I wrote, still not my favorite, <laughs> still not my favorite <laughs> Deftones record. Probably still my, my least favorite as a whole. It's interesting to go back now and see the foundation for some of the albums that would come from the band eventually and kind of seeing the groundwork laid on, on this. Um, but as a whole, very raw. Still bothers me that the production on it's kind of shitty. I don't know if I would like to see it ever re-recorded, if that would help it, but I think the songs are just... The songs that are, are good are good, but I feel like as a whole, it's... It's one of those that I feel like so many people are just wrapped up in the nostalgia and don't see it for, for what it really is. And I feel like maybe, and I think you'll probably agree, because this isn't the record I, I really got into them on, it's it's not, I, I mean, I wasn't too far from this record coming out to when I got into them, but it's still one of those that it's like, I remember liking the singles that came off it when the singles were, were first out. But it wasn't until Around the Fur that I really was like, this band has found awesome. their... <laughs> yeah, that they found it. They know what they're doing now. They're writing better songs with better parts. It sounds good production-wise. I think this just kind of leaves too much for me to, to be desired. Like, I think if I would have heard this when it came out, honestly, I feel like I would have been like, it's a solid start. There's some, some songs on here that I, I'm interested to see where this band goes. And yep. I'll, I guess I'll check out the next show or the next, uh, the next album. Maybe, and like I had said earlier, seeing these songs live, it, it definitely get, takes on a different animal than it does on the recorded version. So maybe having been able to see this band at this point would have kind of made some of the the blemishes on this record for me go away because I, I would have seen it live and seen more of the intensity behind. And maybe it just is one of those instances where this is a band that was better live at this point than they were on record. Yep. So, uh, I would have to agree. Um, almost on every point. Uh, if I had heard it in isolation from, you know, you know, kind of hearing it in sequence, uh, I don't think it would be something that would have knocked me off my socks as much. Why don't you say socks? I don't know. The other, that's fine. The other day I actually made a, I made a really, <laughs> on a podcast I released last week, I made a comment about a bucket of songs. And I was like, a bucket of songs? That's or, I was like, that's not a, a unit of measure for songs. I was like, a batch of songs is what I meant. So a week yeah, ago, so- I said something really stupid. And I was like, who the fuck says a bucket of songs? <laughs> that's actually really funny. 
and, and, and it's it's exactly the same sort of thing. I don't know why. I, I think it's because I'm wearing socks right now. I keep looking at that. <laughs> uh, anyway, it, I you know, looking at it, or when you think about it in, in isolation, not knowing that Around the Fur was coming out and going to just destroy me, um, and you know, Chino was my poster boy, of course, of course, right? I. I, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't have knocked me off my feet. I, it just would have been like, yeah, okay, it's cool, but they weren't there yet. It just see they were they were they were getting there, and I, what I, there is just like their 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 total potential uh, had not been completely realized yet. It was it was almost there, almost. I figured out why you're 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 focused on the socks because it's a part of Chino's look. <laughs> Those tall socks. <laughs> Yeah, oh man. Dickie's like sh- shorts, shorts, those tall, those big, like tall socks, tall shell socks. Toes over uh, Converse. Yep. Um, and he always White wore the, like those either the chino, the chinos, <laughs> <laughs> the chinos, chino or chinos, and they were like the khaki color. Yep. Or you know, he's wearing this like I remember there was a kid in high school, uh, and this is before Kitty had gone on tour or whatever. And there's a kid on in high school who had. One of those Deftones windbreakers. Right. It was it, Deftones had Deftones in the back, and it had Sacto California on the back as well. And I would hound this kid. I didn't know him. I hounded <laughs> this kid. I'm like, where did you get that jacket? And he's like, oh, I went to go see. That. I'm like, can I buy it off you? He's like, no, man. <laughs> like, leave me alone. And I hounded that kid like on a daily basis. Like every time I saw him, I'm like, I want your jacket. And finally, I hounded Will Haven because Will Haven actually grew up with them, and we toured with them in 2000. And I, I was like talking to Jeff, their guitar player. I'm like, Jeff, dude, you friggin' know the Deftones. Can you <laughs> hook a girlfriend up? I've been wanting that thing for like three years. Uh, and he he hooked me up. I I and I don't know what happened. I was gonna say, do you still have it? Can I buy it from you? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, really, that was the only way you could do it if you didn't go to their shows, right? Yeah, and I wasn't and allowed to go to I a lot of shows. I offered that guy, like, you know, two weeks worth of little allowance. That's $40. Like, I, I was like, I'll give you $40 for that jacket, man. He's like, no, no. And he's still, he, friggin' guy, turn me down. <laughs> but I the, I think the piece of merch I regret not getting is actually the Diamond Eyes hoodie on the Diamond Eyes tour, but I kind of refuse to spend $80 on a fucking hoodie. It was $80? Dude, they're mer- they have the most expensive merch for any band, I think. I'd was it see. good quality, at least? I don't know. It was like, I, when I saw them in Detroit, because I didn't even bother looking at merch when I saw them here in GR, because I was so broke. But yeah. I had money to spend, and I was like, alright. And I like saw a shirt, and I was like, that shirt kind of sucks. Like I'm very specific <laughs> about my the merch I buy. Like I, I'm not sure. a big fan of having like tour dates on stuff, and I like kind of very plain and no, basic no. stuff. And I remember, like, I was like, yeah. oh, that hoodie's so cool, because it had, like, the alternate version of, like, the owl, like, in mid-flight, and then it was, like, Deftones, and then on the back, like, said Diamond Eye, something or other. And I was, like, super amped on it, and then I, like, looked at the... It didn't have a price on it, because I think I had gotten there right when they finished setting all that shit. I was like, hey, how much for that hoodie? He's like, oh, it's 80 bucks. And I was like, fuck you, what? it is. And Jeez. I was like... But the irony is, uh, a couple years later, I would spend $90 on a Kanye West hoodie, because I thought that was funny. <laughs> I mean, I went up there, bought the hoodie. It's pretty fucking basic. And I remember when I bought it, I was like, and I bitched about spending $80 on the Deftones hoodie. Yeah, right? It's like a band that I, like, yeah. you know. But, but they, uh, their merch has um, always been 
really outrageously priced like they have crazy like bomber jackets that are like three hundred dollars and shit and it's like jesus christ but you know people buy it that's oh no for sure like with me and that freaking windbreaker like i I yeah don't know how much that kid paid for it but i'm pretty sure it was at the time would have been maybe 60 bucks like for teenagers that's a that's a substantial chunk of change right yeah and i'm like where do you get the money to buy that jacket like i want although i wonder considering violence considering it you know, uh, the the first one, it wasn't mine. Technically, it was Morgan's because Morgan was who got me into the Deftones because she had like, I, I don't know where she heard all this stuff, but she just kept giving me CDs like <laughs> you need to you need to listen to this band and this band and this band. And she had and I don't know. I'll ask her if she still has it. The Deftones Adrenaline shirt with oh, the screaming wow. cat. The ski- well, I mean, screaming well, yeah, cat. they've they've since re-released that like a shitload. Yeah. Of, like, hoodies but, like, and everything. Is- this was in 96. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Now I'm like, where the hell did you get this? Anyway, it doesn't matter. So the the time we all... it's a new thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, and she was like this the cool older sister who had everything. I'm like, what? Anyway, uh, there was that shirt and I borrowed it from her for the longest time because I'm like, oh my God, I just want to wear it all the time. But then I also <laughs> bought the Deftones uh, shirt. It was a baseball shirt with the, oh, yeah. the rainbow. The ragdoll tee or the raglan tees. It, yeah, it had like a, yeah, no, well, no, I think it just had the, just the cuffs were blue, and then the ring around the neck was blue, and then it had Deftones and the sort of like happy uh, writing, uh, like bubble font writing, and then the little rainbow. It was the weirdest shirt. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Uh, and, and so there was that shirt, and then I had uh, a red and white, white pony shirt, and that's it. And that jacket that mysteriously disappeared. And I think... Yeah, I think the reason why is because I had a Slipknot one, and I preferred to wear the Slipknot one on the Slipknot tour than wearing the Deftones one on the Slipknot tour. That makes sense. So, I, I, I yeah, I felt weird wearing. I'm like such this huge Deftones fangirl, but you know, wanted to <laughs> wanted to support the people that were taking us along. Anyway, so <laughs> wrapping up, do you think we can agree on yeah. on the best song? Uh, are we going to do a one, two, three, say it? <laughs> so on, is it one, two, three, then we say it, or on three, yeah. we say it? Yeah, one, two, three, then say it. Okay. One, two, three, birthmark. Number no. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. I feel like that was a setup just so you could be like, oh, yours wasn't mine. Uh, well. Although the funny thing is, is yours... Mine was my comes first, and then yours, uh, then yours. So yeah, so there you go. And number nine was would be my pick. Um, I think the that's only reason... I don't like birthmark, and I don't, but I don't agree necessarily. Well, I don't necessarily agree that engine number nine is like the best song on the whole record. They're all good. It's just to me sonically and kind of slapping me in the face, kind of e. It's the best song in in that way. I feel like the only reason I'm really saying that Birthmark is is my favorite is just because I think it it showcases the fact that the band was going somewhere else that they uh-huh. they would eventually go. So I feel like for me it's more of a, a setup for the rest of these discussions on the rest of the records, and that's why I'm, I'm I think that's why I'm picking out I'm picking it. Ah, uh, okay, okay. But different reasons, but at the same time, I think I mean. Those were the those last three are the ones that I was most impressed with. Yeah, I think Fist was like I said, Fist was the only other one really that I uh, thought that like I think Fist and uh, For Real were really the other stronger 
candidates for my favorite songs on this record. So that, that's that's interesting. <laughs> we were close, but no. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it comes down to sort of where it fits into your life and, you know, your personal style and taste and stuff. So, but yeah. looking at it purely how it makes me feel, and the number nine is my pick. Well, you're the guest, so I guess I will uh, side with <laughs> you and, and, and pick, that, uh, pick that as the song I'll play to fade out the, or fade out, to uh, play out the episode. Sounds good. Um, so next one we will do will be Around the Fur. Yeah. I think, uh, we'll have a lot more positive things to say about that record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give anybody the impression that I hate this record. No, I, and I, I think we, I think we very much have said that, like, yeah, it's a, like, we, I think it's a little bit harder to look at this record objectively from a different perspective than, than we, that we have, because it's not the record that we got into, but I yeah. think we'll, I think you're good. We are going to find collectively as, as the people who may listen to this and, the, and you and I going through this process, I think we're going to find from, from the next record on, we're going to have, be able to talk a lot more about it. Maybe a specific feeling and a, and a, a like remembering where we were when we heard, you know, something like, you know, be quiet and drive like the first time you heard that how it made you feel where you were you know something more personal about your life uh from from the next you know six seven records going forward i think we'll be able to go more in depth other than just going like it feels like a disjointed song to me very uh." Uh, (laughs) i I think we'll be able to go more in depth on it and i think we'll that's what we're gonna find because like you said we both got into the band on the next record so i think from here on out is where the fandom really started and you're probably gonna we're probably gonna find that when we talk about every record from here on out that we're gonna look back on it more finally have more like i said life uh things happening around the records being able to recall certain things places we were people we were hanging out with um i know for me personally once we hit like the self-titled record that's where i started seeing the band in a live setting so i'm gonna have a lot more experiences talking about like seeing those records where it sounds like after white pony that's kind of where you start trailing off on having seen the band so where you're able to talk about seeing the band from this record around the fur and white pony i'm not going to have too much to say about it i can kind of have i know people who went and have told me stories so like from the shows around our area here in the midwest but I definitely know that once we get into self-titled, like I'll be able to start being like, I remember seeing this tour with so-and-so and the songs that were being played and, and looking back oh, on excellent. some of the other records. And I mean, Diamond Eyes tour, I saw three times, I think what? I saw, I, I did not see them at all. I did not see Saturday Night Risk cause they didn't play. I think they only played like one or two shows in the like Detroit, Michigan area. Uh, they didn't tour that record very much from what I remember, but a friend of mine saw that tour has a set list from the show that was in Detroit, um, has told me a lot about it. So I can kind of secondhand story tell that I've seen the diamond eyes tour. I saw the self-titled tour twice. I saw the diamond eyes tour three times and I saw them on, I didn't see the, the, uh, the fuck is that record no no koi no yokan yeah i didn't see him on that tour but i just saw them at the start of the gore tour last year and i'm gonna see him twice and i'm uh, next like over the like uh i don't think it's on my calendar but in the next like month i'll see him twice on this uh this tour so 
once. <laughs> so on this on this tour cycle, I'll have seen him at this point three times, and then I can talk about the the tribute show I threw after they were on Diamond Eyes. So I mean, I have oh. I have a lot of different shit I can bring up uh, once we get further into the discography, but we'll have to figure out our schedules and figure out when that goes. Because like I said, I would like to hopefully get through the entire discography by by the end of the year, so we can yeah. kind of start and finish. Um, we could do you know uh, one of a record every month yeah so um yeah and it's interesting too because when i go see them i'm going to be seeing them yeah we will both have seen them um by the time we talk next for run the fur yeah are they playing with rise against with you Defto, guys yep we have Great. definitely okay, okay. and that'll be an interesting thing too to kind of talk about because i saw them with uh because the thrice is opening up that tour and yep. i saw them on the self-titled tour with thrice and uh thursday What's really cool about this, when I go see them on the 11th of June, I will be going with the same person that I went to see them with in 1997. Crazy. So, uh, wow, yeah, that's all 20 years ago. <laughs> and there it is, folks, my chat with Fallon Bowman, running through adrenaline in our first of many to come of our breakdown of the Deftones and discography. Going to keep this outro kind of short since this episode ran kind of long. Uh, socials, you can find me at Johnson Title Podcast pretty much everywhere or Johnson Title Pod, no H in Johns. Uh, or you can find Fallon at Fallon Bowman pretty much across everything as well. Uh, going to leave you with engine number nine. It's not necessarily my favorite song on this, but... Fallon is the guest, so I decided to go with her pick, and we will be discussing Around the Fur uh, later this week, uh, as of when I'm recording this. I went and saw Deftones last night, Fallon will be seeing them today, and hopefully we can get into a little bit of discussion about our live shows and how they maybe differ from one day to the next, and uh, then delve right into Around the Fur, which I think it'll be a lot better than how this one went, since uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to agree with our sentiments on, on this record. But that's fine. Uh, that's, that's the fun thing of running through a band's discography, is, is a healthy discourse between your favorite songs, your least favorite songs, where you were, and all that kind of stuff. So, like I said, keeping this one short, so without further ado, here's Engine Number 9. Talk to you next week.